Sometimes the world no longer needs a hero. Sometimes what it needs is a monster. Happy Halloween and welcome back to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. So while I officially come back from hiatus on Election Day next Tuesday, this just timed out too perfectly to pass up as a bonus episode. The story of the real-life Dracula falls perfectly in our timeline between where we left off with Joan of Arc and where we'll continue next week with Richard III. We're going to begin our story today a few years before the film Vlad Tepes begins with the 1453 fall of Constantinople. So even though the western half of the Roman Empire fell a thousand years earlier, the eastern half endured as the Byzantine Empire. Its citizens still considered themselves Romans, and their emperor was Constantine XI. Eagerly wanting control of this historic and strategic city of Constantinople was the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire began in 1299 as they began consolidating power in Anatolia, basically modern Turkey. By the mid-15th century, they had Constantinople surrounded, controlling all of Anatolia and most of the Balkans, which is roughly modern Greece, Bulgaria, Albania, and the rest of that region. But Constantinople was a tough nut to crack. It was well fortified and sits at the tip of a peninsula. The 21-year-old sultan, Mehmed II, would not be denied, however. After a 53-day siege, the Ottomans took the city and made it the capital of the Ottoman Empire. The Roman Empire was finally, officially destroyed. Though Mehmed did try to claim that he was now Caesar, the title wasn't recognized anywhere else in the world. Because of how far they were pushed up into southeastern Europe, one of the Ottoman Empire's main rivals was Hungary, who gave the rising Ottoman power a bit of a punch in the nose right before our movie today begins. The Ottomans attempted to lay siege to the border town of Belgrade in what is now Serbia, The Hungarian defense was led by John Hunyadi of Transylvania. Transylvania, which is now a region of Romania, was then part of Hungary. And again, it's worth reminding you not to view countries in the 15th century the same way we view view them today. This brings us to the opening text of the movie. 1456. The army of the Ottoman Empire was defeated by John Hunyadi in Belgrade. Three days later, the hero died of the plague in front of the freed citadel. Taking advantage of this opportunity, Mehmed II, the conqueror of Constantinople, prepared to give Europe a deadly strike. Weakened by fights for the throne among the successors of Mircea the Old and by the feudal anarchy of the great boyars, Wallachia seemed an easy prey for the conqueror. So, I don't know about the three days, but Hanyadi did die of the plague shortly after his victory over the Ottomans at Belgrade. But our story today focuses on Wallachia, mentioned in the last sentence of the opening crawl there. Wallachia is in the southern region of what is now Romania. Today's movie is a Romanian film. It's just east of Belgrade. So the simple version is if Mehmed is wanting to punch through to Hungary and was thwarted at Belgrade, he can try to seize the seemingly weak target of Wallachia, which the opening text notes is in the midst of political instability. But what we'll learn today is how both the Hungarians and the Ottomans underestimated this tiny region and its new ruler, Vlad III. Vlad was the grandson of Mircea the Old, mentioned in the opening text, who had ruled Wallachia until 1418, so nearly 40 years before. Under Mircea, Wallachia was at its largest and most stable, though skirmishes against the Ottomans were common. Mircea's bastard son was Vlad II, who was raised as a ward of the King of Hungary. 
basically a hostage to keep Mircea in line. I love my Game of Thrones tie-in, so this is basically the same reason like Theon Greyjoy was a ward of Ned Stark at the beginning of that series. Um, anyway, the Hunger- Hungarian king named Vlad II to his Order of the Dragon, basically a order of knights similar to, say, the Templars or things like that. This gave Vlad a nickname that lasted the rest of his life, Vlad the Dragon, or Vlad Dracul in the regional tongue. So his son, Vlad III, was given the nickname Son of the Dragon, or Dracula. So yes, the whole reason I made this bonus Halloween episode is because we're discussing the historical Dracula. I do have to say up front that this movie does seem to have been intended primarily for its Romanian audience, as the number of names of people and places thrown at us is just way more than I can properly sort through for one episode. So I apologize up front to any Romanians or Romanian historians listening. There's a brief battle at the start, and Dracula's side wins. The leader of the army opposing him is executed by his own men and turned over to Dracula. This would appear to be the current leader of Wallachia, put in place by John Hunyadi after Dracula's father and older brother were killed nine years earlier. So this is the moment Dracula takes control of Wallachia. His primary goal, and basically the whole driving force of the movie, is to rule firmly and not allow Wallachia to be subservient to either Hungary or the Ottoman Empire. His main antagonists are his own Wallachian boyars, just as we saw Ivan the Terrible in Russia have to deal with. The nobles are far more concerned with their own wealth and power than in their country. In counsel with the boyars, he, uh, Dracula tra- chastises them for the weak leaders they've backed in recent decades and how they just kind of allowed Wallachia to be this you know, stomping ground for other regional powers. He wants to restore Wallachia to its former glory that it reached under his grandfather. He says, let the Hungarians fight the Ottomans, but not at our expense. We get the line, something has changed since Constantinople fell. We are trapped between the Sultan and Hungary's king. His firm rule begins immediately. He does order the prisons emptied, saying everyone basically gets amnesty and a fresh start. But from now on, impalings will be the punishment for basically everything, even theft. He holds a feast of men from all over the region known to be criminals, and once he's assured that there are no courageous men inside, he bars the doors from the outside and burns the place to the ground. The boyars conspire behind Dracula's back, seeking a new prince they can put in his place, but Dracula constantly predicts their treachery and captures and impales those who betray him. In one particularly badass scene, he captures a group of boyars in a church uh, in this part of the world, they're Eastern Orthodox, The priest attempts to chastise his harsh methods, and Dracula says, metaphorically, swords are hardened through fire, not words, your holiness. And the priest replies, but not hell's fire. And Dracula, without missing a beat, says, I haven't another handy. Dracula sees these public impalings as a deterrent. Some say the punishment is beneath the rank of the boyars. If if they are to be killed, they'd rather be beheaded. Dracula wants to show that justice is equal under his rule, a treasonous boyar impaled right next to a thief or a rapist. The title of the movie Vlad Tepes is just Romanian for Vlad the Impaler. Not just the boyars, but other European leaders in the region grow upset with Dracula's refusal to just continue things as they were, specifically with regards to trade. Again, Dracula just won't let Wallachia be walked over as they have been in the past. His enemies whip up a smear campaign against him. They say to tell everyone you meet that he massacres women and children and that he dines with his impaled victims surrounding him, that he's an evil spirit and the enemy of Christendom. 
Hungary gets a new king in 1458, the son of John Hunyadi. He wants Dracula and Wallachia to pay fealty. Dracula says, hey, I wish him well and I'll be his ally, but we will never, but we will never be his vassal. More boyars plot to assassinate Dracula, but he sets them up again. He puts a dummy of himself at prayer, and when the men stab it, they are arrested for treason. By this point, he solidified his position in Wallachia, and for the remainder of the movie, the Ottomans become the primary foe. They now want him to pay homage and allow them passage to attack Hungary, as I mentioned at the beginning. We get a scene that's an anecdote that I've heard before and seems to have actually happened. The Sultan's messengers refuse to take off their turbans in his, in his presence, so Dracula nails them to their heads, like 15th century nails that are basically, you know, look like railroad spikes, so like kills them, and he returns them back to the Sultan that way. Uh, Dracula does concede that the Ottoman's request seems fair, and that he does take the sultan as that is word that he'd leave them alone and just go after Hungary. But he says, what about the next sultan? Future Ottoman rulers can't make promises to us now. And if the Ottomans do control Hungary, then they just have Wallachia surrounded. And I will say here, this film seems pretty darned accurate. My notes from the movie lined up almost perfectly with my research. And where I get confused about who's who in the movie, I, I'm able to just kind of figure it out fairly easy because it's all so close. And I should also note that I keep referring to him as Dracula more for your benefit. They do refer to him as that in the movie, but more often he's just known as Vlad. Anyway, so Dracula was actually so bold as to invade the Ottoman Empire. It just seems he enjoyed being the hornet stinging his more powerful neighbors. Mehmed has had enough and prepares a large force to go into Wallachia. He gives what is basically the first Wallachia tomorrow the world speech. He says he'll eventually conquer Rome and turn the Vatican into a mosque. Knowing he's outnumbered, Dracula resorts to other tactics. He poisons all the water supplies in the areas the Ottomans will travel through. Then, along with a handful of his men, Dracula ambushes and kills a small party of Ottomans, takes their clothes, and uses that disguise to sneak into the Ottoman camp. Now, one fact I hadn't mentioned yet is that when he was younger... Dracula and his brother were held captive by the Ottomans as a way to keep their father in line, just as their father had been held by the Hungarians. So, Dracula spoke fluent Turkish. His goal in the camp was to assassinate Mehmed himself, and in the film he thinks he did just that, but later learns it was the wrong tent and he killed high-ranking official, but, but not the sultan. This is followed by a full nighttime raid by Dracula's men on an Ottoman camp that just is thrown completely into turmoil. And this actually happened. We even have the exact date, June 17th, 1462. The Ottomans are shaken. Some want to return to Istanbul, the Turkish name for Constantinople. Others want to rally the anti-Dracula boyars against him and replace him with his younger brother, Radu. The boyars, who already weren't a fan of Dracula, didn't agree with his harsh stance toward the Ottomans. As Mehmed and his forces did advance toward the Wallachian capital, they came across a veritable forest of Dracula's impaled victims, and the movie even undersells this moment. It is believed that the Ottomans encountered more than 20,000 bodies on spikes as they passed through this region. As we near the end of the movie here, I should step in and mention that, despite how ruthless he has been, this is again a Romanian film casting the best spin possible on Dracula. They only show adult males, presumably criminals and enemies of the state, as victims of his impalings. But it does seem that women and children were impaled as well. As, al as always, the, the truth likely lies in the middle. Dracula likely wasn't as 
viciously pure as his fans would like, nor was he likely as vile as the tales of him that spread throughout Europe would have us believe. But let's finish the movie real quick. A, a letter is forged in an attempt to further turn the Hungarian king against Dracula. So when Dracula goes to him to seek aid against the Ottomans, he's captured and the, because the king is convinced that Dracula was going to betray him. The movie ends here and gives us the closing text that says, He was sent to prison in Visegrad for 12 years. In November 1476, he succeeds to take back the throne of Wallachia with Stephen the Great's help. But he reigned only two months, being killed one night. So, a bit of an anticlimactic ending for a movie, but this is roughly how it played out for the real Dracula. In reality, he hadn't been going directly to the Hungarian king for help, but was captured by men acting on the Hungarian king's orders. To justify his capture to Dracula's supporters, the king did produce likely forged letters claiming Dracula sought to join with the Ottomans against Hungary. And yes, after several years in prison, Dracula briefly regained control of Wallachia, only to die soon after while fighting the Ottomans. His final burial place is unknown, and contemporary sources claim his body was dismembered with his head possibly being sent to Mehmed II. So, how do we get our perception of Count Dracula today? Again, stories about his cruelty spread during his lifetime, especially in Germany, where the printing press had only been invented a few decades earlier. Dracula offered the perfect subject of lurid stories that could easily be exaggerated to boost print sales. Then when Bram Stoker published his classic novel in 1897, he didn't base it on anything of the historical Dracula we've, just, we've discussed today, but on the hyperbolic German tales. So Count Dracula, or Dracula the novel, is a legend of a legend. It was Stoker who then made the fantastic leap of pretending that this hyperbolic German legendary Dracula had been an immortal vampire on top of everything else. So there you have it, the story of Dracula for Halloween. And I must say, I've only scratched the surface here. I could totally see someone taking the time to do this whole story as an HBO-style full TV series, and I'm surprised no one's pitched it yet. Guess I have some calls to make. Anyway, I'm glad to be back from hiatus. We'll get started in earnest next Tuesday, and I'll be back weekly until next spring again. Thanks for listening. Catch you later. <laughs>